Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast with me, Tally Rye. This is the podcast that helps you have a feel-good relationship with fitness, food, and body image. And today, I am chatting to Molly Smith. Molly Smith won the Rachel Bland Award in 2022, and she has created the Way Up Podcast with BBC Five Live. This podcast explores her journey as a 19-year-old recovering from an eating disorder and trying to raise awareness and have more discussion around eating disorders. So of course, I think it probably goes without saying that this could potentially be a triggering episode for some. So if this isn't an episode for you, then come back and join us next week. But we will be discussing eating disorders and I just want to be sensitive to that. Molly's doing such amazing work at only 19 and I think that's kind of incredible. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with her. But of course, before we get into that, it is time for Train Happy Trooper of the Week. This week's Train Happy Moment comes from Anonymous and they text in to our WhatsApp and they said, Hi Tally, I have a train happy moment from this week. I went to a spin class a few days ago and it was the first time I'd been to this particular class. Unfortunately, the trainer didn't talk to me through how it worked and I was pretty confused at the screen I was looking at and all of the numbers on it. It turned out to be a leaderboard of how hard everyone was working in the class. She put hard in quotation marks. Part of the way through the class, the teacher asked out loud on the microphone whether I'd like to join it and I politely declined. I wanted to move my body intuitively and not be influenced by comparing myself to other people in the class. I felt very proud of myself. I've come a long way in my intuitive movement journey. I really love that. I think it's so tough sometimes to advocate for yourself in terms of doing what's right for your body. And it can feel like especially a lot of pressure in the middle of a class environment when an instructor's asking you in, you know, in front of everyone. But I'm really proud of you for doing what's right for you, trusting your body and just enjoying the class without the pressure of these numbers and these leaderboards. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Of course, if you would like to have your train happy moment shared with this wonderful community, then please get in touch with us on our WhatsApp. You can send us a voice note, which we do love, or a text and send it to 75 And if you're an international listener, you can put a plus four four in front of that. Okay, enough from me. Let's hear from the lovely Molly Smith. Molly, welcome to the Train Happy Podcast. I'm really excited to be talking to a fellow podcast presenter. Oh, thank you so much, honestly. And thank you for inviting me on. It's it's such an honor. I can't wait for the conversation we're going to have. And you're specifically tackling eating disorders. But my understanding is there was a bit of a process to get to that point. And I suppose everyone would love to hear a bit about how you came to host the podcast. Um, Yeah, I guess it's definitely sort of been a process of how it even got to a podcast stage. Um, I'm sure we'll sort of go on to later. I've had my own experience with having an eating disorder. And I've sort of in the past two years become quite open about talking about it in the hope really just to help other people. 
And a couple, about a year and a half ago, I very um, sort of luckily got invited on Stacey Dooley's podcast where I um, sort of spoke about my journey of anorexia. I loved it, loved the process. And a few months later, I saw on the BBC Sounds Instagram account that they are they were sort of hosting this competition in memory of Rachel Bland, who is an incredible was an incredible podcaster um, for the podcast Yumi and the Big C. And it's an amazing podcast. And the podcast award was launched in her memory as sadly she she died of breast cancer in 2018. And the podcast award was really to create a podcast about a conversation that isn't talked about enough or is sometimes quite misunderstood and some sort of way to cancer. And I was like, actually like that kind of relates to eating disorders too and so I sent an application and didn't expect to get anywhere at all I was 18 when I applied I was like there is no way that anyone will want to listen to my voice and so I got through to the next round and I was like this is weird (laughs) and then got a phone call to say that I had won and that I was sort of chosen to create a podcast with BBC5 Live which has just, yeah, been the best experience of my life, like ever. And I've loved it so much. I've loved learning about all things podcasting, but also, you know, talking about a subject that I'm so passionate about and that is so close to my heart. And yeah, really, again, you know, just to help other people. And it's also helped me too, which is brilliant. (laughs) So how old are you now? I'm 19. (laughs) So you're still such a baby. I mean, this is incredible. You've spoken about your own, um, you kind of mentioned your own journey with your eating disorder, which I suppose is a huge inspiration behind why you're doing what you're doing and why you want to talk about this topic. Um, But even so, my understanding is you were kind of formally diagnosed at 14. So Mm. like this is incredible that a you're in a position you feel able to kind of share and be vulnerable and open up about your experience and and want to help others um but b like that's not really a lot of time is it really no no not really at all i mean yeah so i was 14 when i was diagnosed that's now nearly five years ago and i guess you know a lot a lot's changed in five years i've grown Mm. up a lot but it is still a little bit raw um, but I'm, I just feel like at 14, I never expected to be in this position at 19. And so I sort of want to use that strength that I've learned to help other people that are sort of in that similar position to when I was, when I was younger. So when you were, so you were formally diagnosed at 14. Um, but I presume there was a kind of point leading up to that. So for you, when did you first kind of maybe realize that? your relationship with food and your body and things had started to kind of go down a slippery slope? I guess it's it's always really hard sort of looking back to pinpoint like an exact moment where you're like, oh, this is when, this is Mm -hmm. when I had an eating disorder. No, it's a slow snowball, isn't it? Yeah, completely. And I think like, honestly, if I'm looking back at my whole life, I'm like, I can notice things around food when I was very, very little, like seven or eight. And I sort of, I guess I developed this kind of fear of certain foods when I was very, very young. And it sort of made socializing a little bit hard. I used to find it really difficult to sort of eat lunch in a, in sort of the dining room or go to kids' birthday parties because of this sort of fear of food I had, of like certain foods that I had. And I think everyone sort of around me was like, oh, she'll grow out of it. Like it's normal for kids to be fussy eaters. 
And, but it was never about body image at all. There was never any body image issues. I've always been, you know, I was always a very healthy child. Um, I was very active, um, but ne- you know, never even thought twice about my body. And I guess it's when I went to secondary school, um, as you know, a lot of y- young girls or, or boys do, your body starts to change. And I was kind of like, Oh, okay. It's sort of, I guess for me, it sort of went from like naught to a hundred quite quickly. And I sort of looked at myself and I was like, this is, I don't really recognize this body. And I guess that was sort of when my body image issues started to develop, but it was never, it was never an eating disorder. I think that's something that's caused by something a lot deeper rooted than that. And so that then I would say developed when I was like, 13 after I mean who knows like why why I developed my eating disorder I feel like for me like I still don't completely know why I think there are a lot of reasons um reasons that like you know I just don't don't really want to share but a lot of them actually centered around being quite badly bullied at school online and anonymously and I never sort of knew who was saying these comments and I sort of felt like everybody hated me and it was this really really horrible patch of feeling very disliked and I sort of thought really from quite a vanity point of view I was like if I lose weight everyone's gonna love me like people will like me again and it just turned so I mean, t- totally on its head and turned so wrong, but started out quite innocently. Like you say, it's one of those things and something I love that you have already discussed on your podcast is how the perception around eating disorders is that it's all about the food and it's a food issue. And yet what you're describing is that there can be so many reasons and triggers for why you may develop an eating disorder and often it's our coping mechanism it's how we kind of try and deal with really hard difficult stuff I think it's really brave and I think amazing that you're able to say that look that this wasn't because I felt like I had to look a certain way initially and this isn't because of the food stuff but that helped me control a tricky situation or made me feel like I could survive and and cope with really tough stuff and I I really commend you for sharing that but also kind of going into that on your podcast as well have you learned a lot about that when kind of talking to your guests and kind of digging into other people's experiences that yeah all the kind of things we assume about eating disorders um we need to kind of challenge those assumptions yeah, completely. I mean, as you said, you know, it's not it's not just about food and weight. And I don't think an eating disorder is caused by just, you know, feeling bad about your body. It's it's something so much deeper. And a, a lot of it for me as well was perfection. Like I'm quite a big perfectionist and that sort of was maybe why it became so extreme. Um, but yeah, through doing the podcast, I've learned so much. I think sort of, I can only really go off the experience that I've had. And I obviously struggled with anorexia, but as I'm sure you know, loads of the listeners will know, there are so many different types of eating disorders and so many different types of eating disorders that aren't necessarily talked about a lot in the media. And so I've just, I've learned so much about 
um, things like binge eating disorder, um, ARFID, like it's, it's just, it's really opened up my eyes actually to, it is more, it's not just about food and weight. It's about how that emotion helps you cope with what's going on around you and that actually need to treat that, that problem rather than just, you know, the physical health or, or that sort of stuff. Yeah, the weight restoration piece for lots of people is often the beginning of a greater healing, isn't it? It's the kind of process of, you know, getting to a state where your brain and body is fed. So you have the capacity to then perhaps start slowly un kind of peeling back the layers of, you know, how you got there. But this is an illness. It is, it's one of the most deadly illnesses out of, you know, and we need to challenge, like like I said, we need to challenge our idea of A, what we think of people with eating disorders look like and B, what recovery means. And like I said, it's so much more than beyond just weight restoration. There's so much more to explore in terms of that mental health journey. Has that been the kind of, um, your experience, has this been, you know, this recovery process is a kind of a catalyst of a greater a greater journey ahead. Yeah, definitely. I think I've certainly learned that there's a lot of steps in recovery. And this sort of step that I think is so often not really talked about or not even acknowledged is the step after weight restoration. Yes. So sort of with the first step, you're sort of actively in your eating disorder and no one's really challenging it. And nobody's really telling you what to do. You're sort of, you're quote unquote in control and then for well for me that control was then taken off of me I was under 18 so my healthcare like you know side of my parents and um I was then sort of forced through this period of weight restoration and that you know that's quite typical my parents sort of knew what to expect with that and then I hit this healthy weight and actually I hadn't improved mentally and it was sort of like a balancing scale where my weight was a lot higher than how I was doing mentally. It wasn't leveling up. And yet people around me were sort of saying like, oh, you're doing so well. Like, oh, Molly, you look so healthy. You're doing really, really well. And I'm just there like inside, like actually what, how I'm doing mentally is just not, it's not really adding up to maybe what I look like. And I think that was something that certainly my parents actually didn't expect to happen at all they sort of thought once I hit my sort of minimum healthy weight like the eating disorder would go away I'd be absolutely fine and it was just the beginning of the next stage in recovery which is learning how to accept your body how it is being healthy and then challenging those thoughts you have around food and the behaviors that you use yeah, we think that that's it. Okay, it's gone now. It's done. You're here. Yeah. Like it's all finished. And, you look you know, fine. And you know what? And I'm sure your parents and your loved ones were, you know, just so wanting you to be well, you know, and wanting you yeah. to be yeah. okay. Um, but you're right. This this is a process. And you know, the way I like to think of it, you know, the iceberg analogy, the part mm. of the iceberg you see above the water is the eating sort of behaviors. It's your, it's, you know what the weight part of it it's all that part and then that iceberg underneath the water is really you know it's like you kind of deal with that and then you get to that deeper part underneath and that's the kind of 
the real hard, hard work. So I suppose for you, you've been in this position where you've been able to talk about your own journey, which is amazing. You know, was there was there a turning point for you in your own recovery? Has it just been a slow kind of process? What's that been like for you to get to this point you're at today when you're able to, you know, be in this this part? Yeah, I think sort of turning points are really important to knowledge and I acknowledge and I think I certainly had a few. I wouldn't say there was like one turning point, but I would say again, as a process, there were certain things that helped me then realize the next steps that I needed to take. Like I think initially, um, actually it was it was my physical health that sort of scared me a bit into like, gosh, like I need to actually start start recovery and sort of quite early on, um, just after I was diagnosed, I had a quite a bad physical health scare. And I was sort of told by the doctor at the hospital, like, you know, one in five people who have anorexia die. And I was like, like that's a, that's a high statistic. And I was like, oh God, like I can't, I can't, like, I can't do that. So I started to follow this meal plan that I was given by um, my CAMS team, which were the, the team that I saw. And so that I guess that was sort of my first turning point in complying with treatment. But then, you know, as things go, it's not linear and that kind of wore off. And I didn't do that, I didn't do that. And then I guess a huge turning point for me actually was leaving school. Um, I sort of finished, I was, I've, as I've sort of mentioned before, a huge perfectionist. I like, as, as well as being perfectionist and how I looked, how I controlled my food, I was a huge perfectionist at school, which meant that every hour the sample was revising. And I sort of finished my GCSEs, had a breather and I was like, oh God, like actually there's a lot more time for me now to focus on myself and to focus on making, you know, making myself better. And I did quite a lot of the weight restoration after I finished my GCSEs. And so that was quite a big turning point. Um, I would say, yeah, I, I don't know if there was sort of ever a full realization of entering like true recovery where I now don't want to relapse. I think that's definitely been something that's kind of been on the back burner that I've become to realize. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I've answered that so badly. <laughs> no, you haven't at all. I think you know, like you say, this is a process and it's kind of getting through one phase to the next phase. Um, and you know, it's a long journey and it's not a click your fingers overnight experience, but, um, you know, it's really encouraging. I hope for you that you're in your teens and you're able to swim against that tide, you know, in your brain. And what I have really loved you talking about as well is, all the things that you've gained up until this point, you know, um, you've gone to university, you've created a podcast, you're also an actress, you're doing so many things and like none of these things would have been, you know, probably possible five years ago. Yeah, you know, oh my gosh, you, yeah, Crazy. There must be so much you feel like, okay, if I'm in my, if I'm in a, having a tough day, like you have to reflect on how far you've come. I mean, it's so crazy. I never even honestly expected like a year ago to be where I am now. Good, I've sort of had to come to this realization that actually good things can happen to me and that I don't deserve to sort of live in this life of 
punishment or or hating myself, which I I did for so long. And I think, you know, I I do I feel incredibly lucky and incredibly blessed and incredibly privileged to have been given the opportunities that I have. It's I think it's made me sort of enjoy them maybe more having been through what I've been through. You know, if I was ill, I would be doing none of this. I wouldn't be here today talking with you, which is crazy. Like I I wouldn't be doing any of this. I would still be at home. I wouldn't be at uni. I wouldn't be trusted to go to uni. And so it's sort of allowed myself that actually, you know, not not every day is okay. There are still days where you like where I struggle, where I have struggled, but you have to keep going otherwise these good things are not going to continue coming you know you're living life and the thing with eating disorders is you know uh, one of our previous guests is christy harrison a dietitian who wrote the book anti-diet and talks about diet culture and she calls it a life thief it steals your life it takes up it's so all-consuming and it's so um impactful and it's all you're thinking about all the time and when you're in that headspace you can't live life to its fullest you know you're you you can't experience these things and I think it's clearly testament to the work that you know hard inner work you're doing that you have got to a point where you do get to experience these things and you know when I'm working with people and and thinking about okay uh, when we're in diet culture when we're you know finding ourselves in that disordered place life is so small it is so small, isn't it? And, you know, when the more kind of we can push back against that and the freedom we can get, the world is your oyster, you know? There's so much out there for you and it must feel like, you know, this is only the beginning for you, Bolly. Yeah, no, completely. I think, as you sort of said, eating disorders, they consume absolutely every moment of the day and there is not a single thing that you can think about but your eating disorder, what you're eating, what you're going to weigh. It's its just such an enormous, it's an enormous pressure to have as well as somebody that has an eating disorder to sort of think. And it's really scary to sort of think, actually, maybe one day my life won't be filled with these thoughts. And I remember sort of sitting in a therapy session, like, and I asked, I asked my therapist and I was like, well, I don't think I'm going to be able to think of anything. If I didn't have an eating disorder, there'd be nothing to my life because I wouldn't be able to think of anything because... I didn't have anything else going on. I was like, there'd be nothing to talk about. I wouldn't be able to talk to my parents because all we'd talk about was my eating disorder. And to sort of sit here and say now that like, actually I'm at uni, I can talk about that. It's like, I've got all these things going on. It's it's something that I never, if you told me that in that therapy session, I wouldn't have even, I just would have laughed. Like, And it, it's scary. I think the biggest, thing with recovering from eating disorders is the fear of change mm-hmm. and that that the change of letting go it's not going to give you any reward because it's given you an eating disorder gives somebody comfort there's there's a reason it's, it's a messed up reason but there's a reason why people develop eating disorders and it serves a purpose at that person's at that point in somebody's life and if you're not going to give somebody a sort of coping mechanism or something to replace that with, that's then very, very hard to be able to start changing. But it is possible and actually change can be a really good thing. It can be very scary, but it also can be really, really good. What 
coping mechanisms and kind of self-care practices do you have in place now that you know like you say that you have replaced that I think certainly talking is something that I've learned to do a lot I think at the beginning when I was sort of first diagnosed with anorexia I was I didn't talk at all I just I never wanted anybody to know what I was feeling I was very very closed didn't want to talk at all and I think as soon as I started talking to people about it I then could be able to control that a bit more and allow like other people to sort of help me so that was definitely a coping mechanism you know that like you say there's so much power in talking Mm. whether that and opening up and whether that be to a trusted friend a trusted family member a therapist you know even a journal where you can write it all down you know somewhere to share how you're feeling I think is so it's so powerful because you know, when we hold things inside, it almost becomes like toxic in your body, I think, you know, and it's the best way to process it is to let it out. And that's really hard when you're kind of told there's so much shame about what you might want to need to share, or there's so, you know, you should feel bad or, you know, there's all that kind of thrown in the mix, but oh my goodness, it's so powerful when you're able to use your voice and I think you're really empowering other people to do that through your work now which is the coolest thing but yeah I mean that's that's the best thing about everything that I've managed to do is actually how it's helped other people and it's helped other people even sort of I remember literally like two years ago whilst I was still in sick form I did a post on my Instagram that had like less than a thousand followers and I sort of did a, a post about my eating disorder and I got so many comments just from people I knew that were like, oh, actually, I'm, I'm going through the same thing. Like, I'm going through a very similar thing and this has made me feel so less alone. So to be able to actually use that and help a wider range of audience is just, I mean, I, it's it's so surreal. And I, I mean, I, I hope it does help. And yeah, it's just that that's the most rewarding thing ever. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So I'm going to sound really old now because I am 32 and you're 19. Um, And so I'm going to speak from a millennial perspective. (laughs) But I don't want to sound really old, but I I have to to remember I'm in my 30s. Um, 
some of the most vulnerable times in our life for eating disorders are teens and kind of early 20s which we know um we also know it can be like through pregnancy and through menopause and later in life through these big kind of hormonal changes in our bodies you know speaking from a teen perspective do you feel that there are other things going on right now and like i don't want to sound completely old and totally out of touch but you know we're thinking of new social medias emerging and different pressures than what I experienced at school for example you know yeah we I mean we had basic social media but we didn't have the constant access we did we had phones but it, we didn't all have access to the internet 24 7 do you feel there are other pressures for kind of people in their teens that I might not understand that parents might not understand that there's other stuff going on right now that you know teens need to be more aware of but also parents caregivers teachers and things could could be made more aware of too yeah 100% I I completely agree with that and I think for me that I'm 19 I've had social media since I was 11 I was 11 years old when I got Instagram like all the social medias and I've probably not spent a day of my life without it which is Mm. crazy to say 11 you're still a kid And I think there's a huge, social media has changed a lot since then, but I think there's always been this huge amount of pressure to constantly be online and creating that facade of yourself. And I mean, just from like my perspective, I remember just being like back in like 2016, obsessed with like the Kardashians, obsessed with how they looked and, and also like the darker side of social media, I think as something that perhaps parents don't really understand a lot. There's a lot of damaging material that can be on social media. And um, especially with with TikTok, I feel really, I feel a lot for sort of younger teenagers sort of coming into adolescence now, because I never had that when I was a teenager, TikTok didn't exist. Mm. Um, But it's, I think with TikTok, it's, it's such a, it can be, it can be a great platform. It can be such a damaging platform in the fact that you're not actually choosing what you see online yeah. with the for yeah. you page. You're not like Instagram, you could control what you're following. TikTok, you're not controlling what you're following. So if you are sort of going into that realm of sort of looking at weight loss behaviors, that algorithms, knowing that you're sort of, you're liking and that you're following these people they're showing more and more of this content and that can be become very very damaging and I think I just think social media it's it has it's changed a lot and I I've you know I've spent a lot of my life now on social media and I'm only 19 but it's about I guess how we can use that in a responsible way and that's definitely something I'm trying to do and trying to sort of promote like yeah just being able to use it responsibly is so important and needs to be a lesson that's taught more in schools I think yeah I agree and I mean wow I mean I'm on TikTok and I you know uh, for me I've had a very disordered relationship with food and exercise in a, diff- in a different way more kind of orthorexia based and I attribute a lot of me finding out how to do that through social media would yeah, I have been yeah. supposed to doing that anyway but I found a lot of how to have a disordered relationship with food unknowingly thought I was being fit and healthy but I found a lot of that through social media like Pinterest and Instagram um and so I've I felt like 
my generation at least like okay a lot of us have been through that phase and I know for sure I've curated it so that I'm not seeing that stuff anymore I now go on TikTok and I thought oh I thought we weren't doing clean eating anymore I thought we (laughs) I thought we stopped tracking our macros I thought I thought we all knew we needed to eat a certain amount for our bodies and I go on there and I'm kind of terrified of seeing people and like people who are the exact same age as me making the same mistakes I would say as me and it's kind of frustrating when you feel like I thought we just all collectively decided that was really damaging and no it's happening but it's just going through the different generations and it just obviously shows up in different ways and where I used to look at like motivational posts and quotes and kind of really toxic things you can now see that in what I eat in a day videos. You can see that in um, here's what I eat on this calorie deficit video. And anyway, and so there's like so much we need to do. Um, and there's some incredible people doing that work. We've got um, previous guests on the podcast, like Molly Forbes, who has Body Happy Kids organization. And there are people like that kind of doing the work to, to help teenagers with that sort of media literacy but also parents with the social media literacy as well of kind of what's going on but you're right that these algorithms I think especially TikTok like I I will hashtag things if I post maybe like hashtag recovery hashtag something like that and I'm seeing a lot of things that I do not see on Instagram because I've gone out of my way to like avoid but I'm being shown them anyway and that's the scary thing because that content can be really triggering you know yeah, I think I think that's that's the most important thing. And I any, you know, in any terms of sort of eating disorders or just unhealthy relationship with food, it all starts out very innocently. Mm-hmm. And it can it can be so innocent that turns so toxic. And I think you've really got to be careful with how you're promoting things on social media can they be turned that way and uh, you know I was sort of the same with Instagram I used to I used to follow so many accounts of like calorie comparisons you know why eat this when you could eat that it's like and I just thought like because it was so normalized I guess I thought that's how everyone should should be and it sort of made me realize that actually okay I did take it very extreme but I thought that what I was doing was fine because social media was like, yeah, like clean, like clean eating, hashtag aesthetic, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so normalized. You know, I had that exact same experience myself. So my background was in performing too. I went to drama school and I was wanting to do musical theater and I just wanted to be the fittest and healthiest performer I could be. And so I you know, made the healthy recipes, did the healthy alternatives, went to the gym after dancing all day and whatever. And soon enough, like that not only became me trying to want to better myself, but it soon became very compulsive. And, Mm. you know, there's a mix of ingredients. You think of the people who are kind of like predisposed to developing eating disorder. And I know that they had stuff in my life. I had the trauma of losing my dad. And when I was a teenager, when I was 17, my dad passed away. And that's And I know now I can look back in hindsight and go like, okay, join the dots. Wasn't aware at the time, but about five years later was when I really struggled with my relationship with food and exercise. And it was all a fallout from that. But it's taken me a long time to realize that. But, you know, you can think that like, oh, this wouldn't happen to me. This wouldn't happen to me. But 
you know, there's this the statistic, and I believe it's by um, the National Eating Disorders Association in the US that says something like one in four dieters will go on to develop an eating disorder. One in four dieters. That's a huge and so amount. <laughs> it's a huge amount, and you just think, how do you know it's not going to be you? Because yeah. you know, I there are so many reasons why I could tell you it wasn't going to be me. You know, I never saw my mum diet. We never, you know, I never felt loads of body. Sh- I, I felt, you know, the average amount of body shame, but it wasn't a huge thing for me. Yeah. You know, there's all sorts of things where I'm like, that wasn't, I, I didn't have that on my, you know, on my kind of bingo card for my life. And yet here I was, you know, thanks to many ingredients in the soup, but you know, there were, you know, I got there. I get frustrated with seeing like when we talk about social media and all that kind of content and, you know, is it just harmless? Oh, it's just harmless. Like people just need to be more responsible for how they respond to this content. And actually we all do have a responsibility for what we put out there. And we do have to consider what may be considered harmful. I think the other part to that is, I think often the people making the content don't necessarily realize that they perhaps are in a more strained place with food and exercise and their body than they might realize because as you say it's so normal you know yeah it is that they're just doing what everyone else is doing so of course it's normal so it is so normalized and I think it still is and I think you know why there has been so much progress and I've mm. even seen that through the time that I've been on social media how much people are now more open to talking about mental health and promoting body positivity and stuff but there is and it it does you know if they're ill themselves actually you know who can you really blame it's it's really it's all very totally it's tricky physician there's no there's no right answer and there's no there's no I don't know (laughs) it's a difficult one it's a really difficult one it is I was really encouraged to see that Gen Z on TikTok were the ones to go like hey I'm gonna kind of call out this idea of like the almond mum and also what that represents and what how diet culture how I've grown up with diet culture in my household um and I I think like you say we can't necessarily blame individuals because we're all victims of the same kind of diet culture system yeah so there's it's not like okay that's that person's fault that that's their person's fault I think we have to be mindful of like every you know we're all kind of consuming this content and this messaging that one body type is better than another body type and therefore how that plays out with our relationship with food and with exercise and with our body and yet at the same time I I do feel like there's a pushback from Gen Z of like and you know we're tired of the restrictions of body shaming of all of that um so I'm, I'm encouraged and yet I'm also like we also need to be mindful that people still want to make bodies trends and they still want to make you know this idea that where we were trying to look like the Kardashians like curvy Kardashians a while ago now everyone's losing weight and now we've got to look like them again and you know that's still going to be there that's still going to be there whilst we make progress and I think those two things coexist and it's how like you say we need to empower everyone to kind of just have more discernment about the content they're consuming yeah no I think that's a really important point and I think it's about 
being responsible like for yourself as well mm-hmm. and it's about saying you know if you don't want to see this you don't have to and yeah because un- you know un- unfortunately there is there is always going to be harmful things and also people can take things in different ways losing weight for a lot of people isn't a bad thing losing weight for somebody very deep in eating disorder is a very dangerous thing it's all we're all on our own path and all on our own different levels and i think if you can identify that path that you're on and what you can see i think that's definitely a really helpful message but yeah it's it's hard it's a really hard situation that we don't not one person has control over and so i think you know, by by the work that you're doing, Tally, I think it is incredible in promoting body positivity and just, I, yeah, it's incredible. And I think that we just need to consume the media that suits us. But that can be hard. <laughs> it can be hard. And my other just comment on that would be as well, because I see people get triggered by things they see online. I see things and I get triggered by things and that can be for multiple reasons, not just to do with food and body image. There'll be other things I'm dealing with in my life that trigger me and, you know, I see things and I go, hmm, okay, rather than I think immediately going to tell that person they're a terrible person for posting X, Y, Z, I I think we all have to take a deep breath, have a moment and say, okay, what was it there that triggered me? What was it about that specific thing that really bothered me? And what's that telling me that I need to work on? I understand totally the natural instinct to want to go like, they're a terrible person for posting X, Y, Z and blah, 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 blah. But also going like, okay, I may really disagree with that. I may disagree with their choices, but also, okay, I'm going to put boundaries in, I don't have to consume it. And also, what is the, what is it here that I need to kind of dig deeper into, in terms of what's going on for me? One thing I do want to talk about, obviously, it being the Train Happy podcast, I wanted to talk, Molly, about your relationship with movement. Is that something that was impacted by your eating disorder? Or is it something that you've been able to enjoy like where are you at with movement yeah definitely I think I think I sort of mentioned earlier as a very reactive child I was a competitive dancer growing up and so a lot of my um childhood was spent exercising all the time made me so happy and I think one of the things that anorexia actually stole from me was the ability to exercise because I couldn't and it was something that I had a very very unhealthy relationship with I would wake up in the early hours of the morning to exercise hours before my parents woke up so they didn't know. And it was always a a, like, a, a chore, but I it was a compulsion, I guess, that I had to do to complete the day. And when I was then diagnosed with anorexia, I became very physically poorly. It was something that I couldn't do at all. I wasn't even allowed to walk. And so that was completely taken away from me. I've always loved dancing. That was completely taken away from me. That was really, really difficult in a lot of ways, socially as well, because a lot of my friends that I had were friends that I used to dance with. And so I guess I kind of viewed exercise as sort of one that's something that made me really happy into something that I had to do and something that people took away from me because they wanted to punish me. And it was just sort of this really difficult 
situation. And I think when I, so I wasn't allowed to exercise for a couple of years whilst I was underweight. And then when I reached a healthy weight, I was then allowed to exercise. And I would say that again, it probably wasn't in the healthiest way that it could be. It was quite goal orientated still and controlled. And I, I, I don't know, I just didn't really, it probably wasn't the best for me. And so actually I, I kind of took a year out and I was like, actually like, I'm not going to join the gym when I start uni. I want to just, you know, not really think about that. And actually only just recently I have joined the gym again because I really want to, and I've been loving it. And it's, it's, it's been this sort of journey of me using exercise actually to make me happy rather than to maintain or like get results, which I think is definitely a, a shift in my mindset. But, and also the knowledge that actually exercise is really, really good for me. I, I really enjoy it. It makes me feel really, really happy. And it can also be a really social thing. Like I can exercise with my mates. I can go, to, I go to the gym with my sister quite a lot. Like it's great. And I think uh, yeah, it's, it's something that I've learned. It's been a process of regaining back that happiness that I had as a child with exercise. Yes, and that's something we talk about a lot on this podcast and something I really want to empower people to do is that, like we said, when we say diet culture is a life thief, eating disorders are a life thief, they steal a lot of our enjoyment around things because they stop being about enjoyment and it's compulsion and it's different. Um, and they kind of turn it into like, I must see results, I must change the number on the scale, I must blah, 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 blah. And, you know, we're all about having a really intuitive and joyful movement with relationship here. And it sounds like you're kind of finding movement on your terms this time, mm. on, you know, in a way that makes you feel good. And I think, you know, for you taking, consciously taking like a year of going like, I need to kind of recalibrate this relationship with movement and I need to step back to figure out what I actually do want to do. I think that's huge and so important in the recovery process for people. And it takes time. And I think in when you're taking, consciously taking time away, that's a time to do a lot of that other work of recovery that so you kind of build that resilience and that kind of skill set of going, okay, I can engage with movement again and know that this time it's on my terms and I'm I'm doing what I enjoy. So that's really encouraging that you found that. I ask every guest on this podcast, um, what has been your most recent train happy moment? So I feel like this is a great time to ask, has there been a moment where you've really noticed yourself moving for fun, listening to your body, maybe taking extra rest, like letting go of that guilt? Like, has there been a train happy moment for you? Oh, I love that question. Yeah, I think... Oh, I did an amazing Pilates class last week and it was, it just, I loved it because of the people I was doing it with and it was a very social thing. And so I think that really made me happy because it wasn't just completely about exercise, but it was also about who I was doing it with and spending quality time with my friends. And so that was really lovely. Um, and I think also being able to see my improvements um, just over the past like few months with exercise has also just made me really happy. And it's not something that I track or that I want to comp like compete with myself with, 
but it's just something that I can now notice. Oh, I can do this a lot better. And that makes me feel like really good. (laughs) I love that. And like you say, movement is so social and it can be so fun and a great way to hang out with your friends and a great way to make new friends and meet new people depending on what you do. Um, So I love that you're finding that side of it. Molly, this has been such a lovely conversation and I really appreciate you opening up and sharing your journey with us. Where can people find you, find the Way Up podcast and listen to more of your journey and more of the work you're doing? Oh, thank you so much. Honestly, it's like just been such a lovely conversation. And yeah, thank you again for having me on. It's yeah, you're lovely. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so The Way Up is a podcast on BBC Sounds or any other podcasting listening platforms. Just type in The Way Up. It's spelt way as in your weight (laughs) Um, for anyone that doesn't know. I mean, you can find me on Instagram at Molly Erin Smith. And I think I think that's about it. Thank you so much for coming on today and chatting with me. And yeah, we really appreciate what you're doing. So thank you so much. Oh, thank Honestly, thank you so much. Thank you. But that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please do let us know on social media. You can find us on Instagram at train happy podcast and we do want to hear from you we want your questions we want to hear your train happy moments and we'd love to feature you as train happy trooper of the week so remember you can get in touch with us via our whatsapp it is 07599927537 and whatever podcast platform you're choosing to listen to us on please rate and review it really helps the show and it really helps spread the train a happy message and that is it for this week i'll be back with a brand new episode for you next monday see you then ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.